Welcome to Material, a show all about the Google and Android universe hosted on the Relay FM network. This episode of Material is brought to you by Linode and Ministry of Supply. I'm one of your hosts, UX designer Yasmin Evian, and my co-host, app developer Russell Ivanovich. Ahoy, hoy. <laughs> and not with us today, tech columnist Andy Anako. Andy is uh, actually out in the field. He is doing what tech columnists do and is at the Samsung Internet of Things uh, event and conference. So he's actually going to be later on in the show giving us a report from there. So I'm pretty excited to see what, what he heard. And I think he even had a, a run in with one of the Samsung uh, like CEOs or head up uh, head of someone high up in the Samsung line of the samsung chief. universe <laughs> samsung universe he, he begged me as man he's like please please don't make me go he's like oh, do you know my my reporting days you know i, I don't want to go places anymore but we're like no andy for the good of the show you know we have to send you out there and <laughs> i also hear a rumor yasmin that he might have snagged himself a one plus three which is uh, all the rage at the moment so we, we yeah <laughs> we're going to do the typical news reporter thing we're going to make you wait till later in the show where we give you the live report from andy and some thoughts on his one plus three does he hate it? Does he love it? You'll have to tune in to find we, out. We don't even know. We don't even know. <laughs> yeah. So, what he says uh, next will shock you. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, Andy, what? Yeah, Andy was trying to be here. He was trying to find a spot out in the train, and he was like, there is no quiet spot, and um, it just it didn't work. He tried. He tried. Andy Andy was a true professional trying to get on. But uh, it's good. I'm, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Oh, yeah, me but, too. But uh, Russell, I... I've uh, I've seen you. You don't have it on right now, but I've noticed that I was seeing some pictures of you with the HTC Vive, and you are in a VR. You, you are in a VR world. Does that mean you are in, in a material world? Oh, I'm making my own materials. Yes, I mean, in fact, I, I know we. You know, we had our live 50th episode, which was video, and I know now we're back to audio, so people can't see the HTC Vive headset that I'm holding. So what I'm going to do to you, listeners, as a service, I'm just going to rub it gently on the microphone here. Yeah, that's that's a HTC Vive rubbing against the microphone. So oh. <laughs> you're welcome. Now you know exactly what it looks like. <laughs> so now, now you know what it sounds like and what it feels like. Yeah, this this arrived in the office yesterday, and um, you know we we set up a PC for it. We plugged it all in. Um, it comes with these two little sensory things, which we didn't know what to do with. But there, there was clear instructions all the way through, and it's like do this, do this, do this. And then I kid you not, we turn this thing on and i happen to be the first person with with the headset on just because you know i'd set it up and yasmin i have to tell you i was absolutely blown away so let me let me give you kind of the first run experience like there's a it's you know the hc vive is in collaboration with valve who you know run run the steam store and also make you know things like portal and uh, famously half-life and the setup process is amazing so it just walks you through all these simple things the first one is you know, put the controllers on the ground, put the headset on, make sure it's all, you know, tracking with these two other sensors that are in the room. I'm like, yep, that's that's all working. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, yeah, stick the stick the headset on. So you stick the headset on and the very first thing you notice, which is crazy, is that you see the two hand controllers in the real world. Uh, sorry, in the virtual world. So, and they're modeled in real time and literally as I'm kind of flicking them around, I can see them in the virtual world. And it, there's just something about that. I I know it seems like silly, but just to see like your actual controllers in the virtual world and be able to just like wave them in front of your face is it is game changing. Like having tried, you know, Google Cardboard, Samsung Gear VR, 
um, you know, and a few other sort of VR solutions out there. This is this is something else entirely. And the ref, the fresh, refresh rate is amazing. Like I didn't even feel the least bit. I didn't even feel the least bit nauseous. So sometimes when I put on Google Cardboard or Samsung Gear VR, you know, play with it a bit. I'm like, oh, I just feel a bit funny in the head. Like it's not like I'm going to throw up, but it's kind of like somewhere in between. And this was nothing like that. You know, I'd, I'd done the headset. I played with the tutorial. There's this bit at the start where um, there's the, the robot that comes out of Portal 2. Have you ever played Portal 2? I, I yes. Yes and no. I, I know <laughs> so I'm no. aware of the game and I like turned it on, but I didn't really play it for very long. Anyway, there's this, there's this sassy little... <laughs> so I, I know what the robot, yeah, yeah I get that. <laughs> yeah, so he, he does like the intro tutorial and he's like, you know, press this button. And you press the button and a freaking laser like shoots out of the controller. You're like, whoa... And then you get to, it's weird, but you get to blow up balloons and like, you know, knock balloons around um, the area. And then we, we play with some of the, the demos that you get as well and some of the various experiences. I haven't, I haven't had a huge amount of time to, to go through them all, but just one of the ones that stood out to me is you, you literally, you're, a, you're an archer basically. You have like a bow in one hand and you have like the arrow in the other hand. And oh, you, no yeah, fun. Yeah, you kind of like, you put it in, it kind of <laughs> clicks into the bow, you pull it back and, you know, you let go. Oh, that. It is, it is amazing because you, you don't need a tutorial. It's like you instantly know what to do. Is it? Uh, does I know it's. You said it was really great, but does it compare to the Wii <laughs> archery experience? <laughs> oh man, it is like a million times better than the Wii archery experience. Because there's another game, funnily enough, called Job Simulator, where you get to simulate a job. So there's one where you're in an office. There's another one where you're in like a tiny little kitchen. No way. How fun. Yeah, and we did the kitchen one. So oh, that sounds so silly, right? I know, no, no, no. But I'm excited to, to go to work, you know, like simulate a job. <laughs> this is what I do all day. The kitchen one is hilarious though because you're in this space, right? And with the HSC Vive, you can move around the, the room. Like one of the things it gets you to do at the start is map out your room. So the room we have here is like two meters by about, you know, four meters. You can convert that into freedom units later, time, times by three, I think. But it's... It's really cool because you, you you don't you literally like I said before you don't need a tutorial. So there's one bit where you have to open a fridge, and you just kind of you reach out with your hand, you kind of squeeze down, and you open the door, and you feel like you're opening an actual door. Like that it, is just so intuitive and so amazing. I, I know this is an audio podcast, and I don't know if this is coming across, but I am absolutely blown away. This is this is definitely you're, the future of of something. So I'm um, okay. Uh, does the HTC Vive? Because I know the, the Oculus Rift, you actually have to plug into a computer to yeah. run it, right? Now, does the HTC Vive also have to be plugged into a computer, or is it like standalone, or how does that work? No, so it's it's got some. In fact, I'll show you here. Sorry, it's got some kind of cables coming out the back. So there's there's a thing of three cables that comes out, and that needs I think a HDMI connection, a USB connection, and it's got like a another connection that goes into its little connecty box thing. So it has to be plugged into a computer. It has to be plugged into a reasonably powerful computer as well. You know, if your computer's... Okay, so it does run on a computer yeah, as well. Yeah, if your computer's like four years old, it's it's not going to run this. You need a fairly recent graphics card. You need a fairly recent CPU. You need all that. But, you know, having said that, it, it does seem like early days. You know, the, the hardware will get cheaper and whatever else. But you... You put this thing on and you forget about how much money, you know, you've just spent. You're like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then everyone in the shifty office, you know, we all had like a, you know, 10, 15 minute turn each. And every single person was just, you know, blown away. And we're, you know, we come from different backgrounds. You know, some of us game more than others. Some of us, you know, love VR. Some of us don't. I was previously, you know, a bit of a, a VR skeptic, but this was just like, no, this is this is something else. And when you come away from it, you feel like you've actually, you haven't played a game. You've actually had like a real life experience. So it's that visceral thing i don't know if you've ever done archery in real life we did it like in high school and you come away with that feeling that you can kind of still feel it kind of tingling the way you were kind of pulling the bow and letting go i felt the same thing like after doing virtual archery it was really weird really weird 
Oh, that that sounds like loads and loads of fun. Um, I, when I'm super interested, do you do? Is there like an incentive to do a lot of like movement or walking? Because you said you have to map up map out your room. Is it because they want you to kind of like walk within it, or how does that work? No, so you can tell that the VR experiences they're really created for like a small room. So like the kitchen one that you're in, what they want you to do is kind of pace maybe a few steps backwards and forwards. But the bit that really gets you is there's a lot of kind of leaning down and reaching for things. And let's say there's a, there's an apple on the bench. At one point you have to make like some juice or whatever. So you can't just point your controller at it while you're standing up and just like you know levitate the apple off the desk. You actually have to get your hand like on the apple. So you kind of have to like real life. You bend over, you kind of reach your arm oh, out, you pick yeah. the apple up, and you have that visceral visceral experience of yeah i'm I'm picking up an apple and it's it's weird because your hands are not feeling an apple obviously but there's there's a little vibration motor in the in the thing and it just it does a good job of like you know kind of simulating the whole thing so that you don't even notice you feel like you're doing it and then some games let's say you have to go a long distance like there's one game where um you know you've got all these different lab experiences you're going to make your way around the lab so the way that works is you point your controller at a spot on the floor and you kind of teleport yourself places. So you, okay, yeah, yeah. you don't have to walk like 20 meters because obviously you'd smack into, you know, walls <laughs> and things like that. But you te- yeah, you teleport yourself there. So the other cool thing is, speaking of smacking into walls, is it puts up virtual walls in the thing so that you know when you're getting close to the physical ah, room that you've mapped out. Okay. It's like, hey, hey, you, you want to stop here because if you keep going and slam into like a... <laughs> you will you crash into something. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I played with Oculus Rift uh, before at a friend's house and... I mean, it was so realistic, and even then, I, I, you know, I heard the vibe, the the experience. It seems like it's even better. And so, I was standing there, and I had this like T Rex like charging me, and I'm just <laughs> like, this is awesome, you know, because it just it looks so so real. Uh, I think in one of the simulations, there was like two robots fighting, and you're in the middle of it, and so there's like lasers like kind of flying, uh, you know, back and forth, and so it's pretty cool. Uh, did did you get to play with Google's uh, Tilt Brush? Yes, yes. So the the cool thing about the, the HTC Vive is it's plugged into the Steam Store, so you just go there, you like look at the VR stuff. I also um, I pinged the two people that we had on a previous podcast. If you haven't listened to the VR episode, you know that we did go, go back and find it, and they they said you know try these these ten things. And so one of the things I downloaded was Tilt Brush, and that is something else. Like you're painting in a three D space, and that that's cool in and of itself. You've got different brushes and things that you can choose of choose from. But then you kind of you tilt your head and you kind of walk, you can walk around the thing that you just drew, and it's really hard to explain until you've tried. It. But again, it's it's amazing, and I think the the thing that it has over the Oculus Rift at the moment is the two hand controllers. There's just something about having those things like in the virtual world and in the real world that kind of connects you, you know, to the experience. And I know Oculus, you know, they're, they're working on that. They're, they've already got it, you know, prototyped and that's coming, I think, later this year maybe. So I got to ask for the job simulator, were you able to write some, uh, some and something in Xcode and get your your work done, the pocket cast, the iOS app done? You, you laugh, but one of the things um, Manuel Clement sent me was um, there's a desktop simulate it so it literally takes the desktop environment from your windows computer no way yeah and overlays it in 3d space so you can have like an xcode window you can have a thing window, and they're just like giant you know 50 inch sort of floating windows and you you feel like you're staring at like a giant tv like my code is bigger than ever before i mean i don't know how the keyboard (laughs) bit would work because obviously there is a game actually that makes you type on the (laughs) keyboard but it's just like you kind of mashing the keys with you know with the two controllers The, the problem is you couldn't see the keyboard so i guess I don't, know, I don't know. You have to be a really good touch typist or something, but it's <laughs> it is amazing just to get that level of like detail and be like, whoa. And I don't know if I'm like this is the future of computing or whatever, but I'm convinced it's the future of something. Yasmin, I don't know what that something is, but 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty wild, uh, just kind of like how VR has taken and even it'd be interesting to see, like, as we begin to ex- continue to explore it. Um, I did see one, we have like a company here in Arizona that's like uh, has some scrum based agile software. And they actually had a, a group come in that was uh, it was called like the agile, agile VR, no agile in VR, like scrum meetings in VR. And I have no idea how they do those. I think they're trying to like for remote teams so they can kind of interact with each other, uh, which is pretty, which is pretty wild. So um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see, you know, at what happens with VR and especially excited to, to see, um, and especially excited to see like when, when cardboard comes out and just the remote and the, when they come out with those, I think um, you mean daydream, day, yeah? day, daydream ready. Gosh, yes, yes, yes. Daydream. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Not when cardboard comes out. When daydream comes out, I just, you know, to me, daydream will always be that screensaver on my phone. So I just can't, I just can't let it go. You can't let that go. Um, And so it it will be uh, fun to see how how the remote and daydream works. And I know it's not going to be as powerful as the HTC Vive because you have the two remotes and I think that gives you a bit more control because the daydream to our knowledge right now is only one remote. I mean, you may be able to buy multiples. That That's an option. We, we haven't really heard much about that, um, but it'll be, it'll be definitely be interesting um, to see how the, the experiences where you can like cardboard daydream, you'll be able to plug in your phone into it. You'll have to have a daydream, a daydream ready phone to do that. But the difference will be with the HTC Vive and I think the Oculus, you have to plug into a very powerful computer in order to experience it, which means the experience you're going to get is probably going to be pretty freaking amazing compared to the Daydream. But I think even within the cardboard, um, just seeing some of those animations, it looks so beautiful and it does feel uh, very much, you know, real. And I'm sure like it's night and day compared to the Vive, but um, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Come on, VR. <laughs> Come on, Google. Ship these things already. Well, th- this is the, the huge thing that I'm wondering, right? Later this year, potentially, or early next year, we're going to see um, these Daydream-ready phones. You know, Google's made the, the spec for the Daydream headset and the controller. Presumably, we'll see that at some stage as well. I wonder what it would be like if the resolution is lower, but the, you know, the refresh rate and the latency is the same. Like, because... Honestly, the majority of the experience is just the refresh rate. You know, it is you're you're moving your head around, and there's no there's no lag between my head moved and something happened. And the other one is, I see my hand in the real world. And if Google can nail both of those things, I'm not sure that the resolution is as important because, like the the game I mentioned before, Job Simulator, it is it is pretty. It's not low res, but it's there's no textures. There's no. It's like really kind of basic and like blocky and stuff. And it's still an amazing experience. Like it's not amazing graphics. It's more just like an amazing interactive experience so if google i think if they can get those things right if if what they say is true about the latency and the refresh rate of these phones you know when plugged into these devices is actually a thing then i think it could be a huge deal because like you say you don't have to buy like a thousand dollar pc you don't have to buy like a thousand dollar other thing you you already have a phone presumably you just upgrade to a daydream ready phone and now you you know you buy maybe there's a pack with the headset and the controller thing in it you know you buy that you get it for your birthday or something and then boom like you're ready to go well, I am ready for um, VR when I can go ex- escape this uh, heat in Phoenix right now. Phoenix has like hit over 120 over the weekend. Um, and so, you know, if I had if I had HTC Vive or maybe Daydream was already out, I could put it on, start daydreaming of like being out in like the freezing cold Alaskan winter or maybe on the beach or something. That'll be, that'll be fun. But um that, that's pretty cool. So I'm I'm excited. Let's yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, later this year. That's what they said, wasn't it? Am I, I'm not imagining that. So, yeah. I hope yeah, to- well, <laughs> that's a, I think that's everything. They're like, later this year, eventually, maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed. Hey, December 20, you know, just the last day of December 31st is still later this hey, year. I'll, I'll take it for Christmas, Google. If you want to re- release it at the 24th <laughs> with zero-day shipping to Australia, I'm, I'm here for you. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> So, Yasmin, I'm afraid I have to pay for, for some of this HTC Vive stuff somehow. And I figured out the perfect way. We have, we have two lovely sponsors for you this week. So the first one is Linode. And this episode is brought to you by Linode. Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world, which makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can literally get a server up and running in under a minute. And plans start from just $10 a month. You'd be able to choose things like, you know, which Linux distri- distribution do you want? Uh, where do you want to put this particular, you know, thing? And just how much disk space, how much RAM? All that's done through their, um, you know, amazing interface. You don't have to get down into the command line until you've kind of fully set up the machine exactly the way you want it. And some of the things you can expect from Linode is, you know, really amazing, you know, 24-7 support. Um, they have industry-leading native SSD storage. So, you know, all of their VPSs are blazing fast. They've got, you know, the, the latest processors in there. You've got access to a 40 gigabit network, you know, multiple levels of redundancy. All the things you'd expect with being in a data center and honestly at, at really good prices. You know, we use Linode for a lot of the stuff that we do, you know, with Pocket Cast and Pocket Weather, that's that's our entire back end. You know, I think we're up to like 16 VPSs or something like that. And they're amazing. You know, the Linode are constantly innovating, you know, on the, the things that they provide. You know, one time they rolled out, you know, they switched from something called KVM to something called Zen, which gave us a huge performance boost. You know, they didn't charge us for that. More recently, they upgraded, you know, all the RAM and, and CPU that we got on our machines. And all, all there is in the admin area is just a little button that says, hey, you know, this is available when you're ready. Push this button. Boom, here's, here's more free stuff for you. So things you might like to do on there, maybe run you know your own servers, run a Git server, host a large database, you know, run a mail server. Anything you can think of that, like, oh, I need some kind of machine in the cloud, you, know, you should definitely check out Linode. And as a listener to our show, of course, there's a benefit there. So you go to linode.com slash material. Um, you'll be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards your first plan. And you also have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So, you know, five days into it, if you're like, whoa, this is too powerful for me, no problem. So you can get your money back. So again, linode.com slash material. And if you're already at the checkout process, you're like, I'm so excited. You can use the promo code material20 to get your $20 credit. Thanks so much to Linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. And I'm really excited to be hearing from Andy as he is at Samsung's Internet of Things and the event is called Internet of Things Transforming the Future. And so I'm really, really excited to hear from Andy uh, what he has to say because at this event, um, Samsung Electronics Vice Chairman and CEO Quan unveiled that Samsung's vision for human-centered Internet of Things, including a a strategy to spend $1.2 billion over four years of U.S.-based Internet of Things investments. Um, And he called his peers to start thinking differently about IoT with a human-centered approach, embracing the life-changing possibilities of the technology and working together to bring these benefits to society at large. And as like that, as you know me, I'm a, I'm a UX designer. So my whole approach is really human-centered. So everything that we do, we think about our users and the people that are actually using it and testing and all this stuff. So like, I'm super excited to hear what Andy has to say about the event and kind of how they uh, spoke into that. So Andy, let's... Uh let us know. Yeah, tell us, Andy. And also tell us about your OnePlus 3, Andy. We'd, we'd love to know. And now we're going to seamlessly transition to Mr. Andrew Anako on the field, reporting live. Hi there. Yes, this is Andy. 
and I'm recovering from a whirlwind 36 hours on two trains and in Washington, D.C., which was suffering a flash flood at almost exactly the time that, or excuse me, I'm sorry, starting 10 minutes after I said, oh, well, you know what? It's just it's just an hour's walk to the train station. Why don't I just walk it instead of taking an Uber or taking the subway? And I'll be there early enough that I don't have to worry about racing for the tr- racing for the train after I record material. It'll be great. And yeah, it was an absolute flash flood. It was just there's, there's I, I had I had an umbrella and everything. And have you ever had that situation where it's like I'm I'm carrying this umbrella just to show everybody else on the street today that I did come prepared and I own an umbrella because I'm already soaked because the rain is coming from every direction and you step off the curb and you step into eight inches of running water. So, but I I, I do I do have the financial wherewithal to own an umbrella and also the planning ability to decide to take it with me. But yeah, I was in uh, DC too attend uh, a little shindig that Samsung was throwing. Uh, They're calling it a summit on Internet of Things. Uh, and it was uh, real good stuff. Uh, they're do- uh, with their uh, with their stated purpose, as expressed uh, through the uh, CEO of uh, Samsung, who was there and kicked it off, uh, Dr. Oyun Kwan, was that... Uh, uh, that uh, Internet of Things, we often think, we usually think about it as light bulbs that you can turn on and off for, through voice, uh, and that does work very, very well. I turn off my uh, my bedroom lights the, that way every single night. But uh, the real power to do good is when uh, whole communities and whole governments decide to embrace sensor-enabled technologies and deploy them pretty much everywhere. So... Uh, we're all we're all uh, familiar with speed cameras. <laughs> we don't like speed cameras, uh, but it would be nicer if we had stuff like uh, uh, street lights that had some sort of sem- sensor technology in them, so they can actually sense the flow of traffic through the city and through a neighborhood uh, at different times of di- different times of day. Uh, and when you couple stuff like that with uh, uh, smart technology, uh, like uh, what Google is being able to do, meaning the more information you feed uh, into an AI, the more uh, helpful results it can provide based on that data. So a city could learn a lot about how people are moving through the city over the course of a day, which means that if uh, there are bottlenecks happening at this sort of in- this intersection, uh, based on the amount of noise that is being generated by cars uh, at certain times of day, that may mean that perhaps they should add an extra lane to that road. Uh, if you have sensors on every city vehicle, like every uh, every uh, uh, police car, every fire truck, every sanitation truck, even uh, every uh, every uh, post office vehicle. Those vehicles can then be sort of mapping out the condition of every road that's there. And so uh, it's not as wonderful or as immediate as what a consumer experiences the first time they pull into the driveway and the uh, the appearance of their phone on their home Wi-Fi network announces that the, the master or mistress of the house is home. Please turn on the series of lights, uh, the following series of lights, and make sure the, the the house is heated to a certain temperature. Oh, and by the way, you might want to start uh, start getting the com- the electric uh, blanket upstairs uh, going. All that sort of stuff. Uh, that's there's stuff that you can do to actually just make entire infrastructures work better. Uh, Samsung's uh, selfish. 
uh, a selfish motive is uh, they have a couple months ago they introduced uh, a, a system they called Arctic, which is a combination of uh, components, and APIs, and cloud infrastructure, so that you can just build all of this stuff uh, and have this entire standard solution. Uh, but rather than an attempt for Samsung to own the entire thing, uh, the keynote, as it was uh, from uh, Dr. Kwan, was and was really underscoring that uh, whatever uh, sort of technologies that uh, governments and communities decide to employ, they have to be open or else they're no good. And uh, they have to also be focused towards making lives better, which of course is what a CEO is supposed to be saying when they're being photographed and recorded. But it is really important to think about Internet of Things as something that can make daily life better. Uh, going back to that, uh, the 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 red light uh, cameras. That's how people are are trained to think of uh, sensors that a community or a government has deployed around you to capture data about how the members of that community are moving around. Uh, so people are. It's important to make sure that people know that or get an assurance that whatever data that they're putting into this grid belongs to them or is under their control in some way. I, I think all of us uh, would like to have, for instance, a, a smart car that uh, can collect data about how we work the brakes, how uh, excuse me, how I personally work the brakes, how I personally work the accelerator, how I personally use the turn signals, how I enter intersections and leave them so that it can sort of tune the performance of the car to uh, make up for my mistakes and give me the best gas mileage. And also know that Gee, Andy is usually really, really safe, but between the hours of 5 and 7 on Wednesdays, uh, that's when his skills are still safe, but not as safe as normal. So we're going to be we're, we're going to put all of uh, all of the, the safety sensors from uh, from green to yellow alert on there to make sure that we're being extra helpful. That's the sort of stuff that I want. But none, but nonetheless, you should be scared about what happens when if you do get into an accident and now you have all this data that your insurance company can sift, sift through and decide that, oh, well, you know, he was just a very unsafe driver, especially on Wednesday night. So we're going to deny your claim because we we have evidence that you were speeding 20 minutes before this crash yeah that that sort of stuff so these are things so uh, part of that is uh, how do we let governments work with internet of things technologies and so part of it would be to part of the importance would have some sort of a national policy on here is the privacy that uh, privacy level that a citizen uh, is entitled to by virtue of the fact that they're moving through a city. Uh, right now, if, if especially if it's a cold uh, cold day in February, I'm entitled to walk through the streets of Boston wearing a full face mask and not with any uh, skin of any kind uh, ex exposed. Uh, we should have that same level of anonymity if we choose it as we move through a city, even, uh, even in our cars. Uh, also, the question of if a company is going to put an, uh, a new uh, sensor platform, uh, again, smart-enabled uh, 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 streetlights out to bid, what assurance does the community have that the technology they're buying today is going to be open enough that they can customize it to their specific needs without having to contract services from that same maker? And when you have uh, another idea to expand the, these services, how to make sure that the data that they're collecting from those streetlights is going to be compatible with and is going to integrate with the data they're collecting from uh, those garbage trucks and their mail trucks. Um, but uh, as long as the, but it's also uh, good to at least here at that level, the focus on making people uh, have helping people have better lives, as opposed to taking 
a product or a service that's at a 7% margin and giving them a 7.3% margin, you know, where the, where the user doesn't see any benefit whatsoever and uh, it winds up uh, putting extra money in other people's pockets. Uh, a couple of other insights from industry people who are on panels over the course of the day uh, is that uh, they feel as though the first really widespread adoption of IoT devices is, of course, is going to be on industry because that's... That's, there are a lot of people for whom that extra two percent, two tenths of a percent, uh, scaled up to uh, the entire output of the production line is a lot of money, and it's worth it. And so they're very, very well motivated to make sure that they get, uh, that they maximize uh, the uh, the efficiency of their processes uh, and their profitability on on the products that they make. Uh, it's, there's not uh, quite so much of an immediate gift package that results when you start uh, being able to repair roads faster. Uh, people are just aware that people are, that roads get fixed. They don't necessarily know that it's because of these new sensors and this new uh, machine learning that, that they were able to target and uh, make infrastructure improvements where they were needed. So it's going to happen in uh, in industry first and then uh, work out into communities. It's it's really quite interesting start to finish. And, and also, uh, I don't want to talk for the next 20 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving through through pages and pages of notes that I made as I was going through this, uh, it's uh, it's also super interesting to think about uh, how it can ha- how it can work in healthcare. Uh, another one of the panelists was uh, uh, was Alex Hawkinson, who is the founder and CEO of Smart Things, which is more of a consumer level IoT. They have ambitions to uh, to uh, become much bigger and much uh, and much more ambitious, but pretty much uh, home sort of devices and business sort of devices. Uh, but he was talking a lot about how. Uh, the opportunities that are present for uh, helping uh, helping the elderly uh, to uh, basically to, to basically be able to stay in their homes longer and safer. This is also being talked about a lot by uh, another speaker on a different panel, uh, Jay Kazimi, who's a founder and CEO of Breezy. Uh, a company that I hadn't really uh, heard of or read about, but I'm definitely going to be involved, uh, involved with them um, in the future uh, because uh, Jay particularly seemed like that was a particular passion. Uh, a common thread for a lot of these applications of IoT technologies was that not uh, pinpointing failures, but preventing failures. Where the uh, the more fine grained and the more consistent. Uh, volume of data you can collect, the more insights you can sift from that. And so you can, uh, instead of having the classic, I've fallen and I can't get up moment uh, with a, with an elderly relative, you can have, because they're carrying a phone in their pocket that has nine to 13 different sensors in it, you can figure out that, gee, uh, my aunt is stumbling a lot more than usual. She's, she's fallen down a couple of times, but she's stumbling more often uh, than usual. Uh, and whereas uh, three or four years ago, she may she may fall down, may have fallen down th- uh, two or three times a month. Now she's falling down once or twice a week. And over the course of a month, there are two of those falls in which she uh, she is more or less unhurt, but it takes her 15 minutes to get up again. So these are the sort of things that can be uh, patterns can be discovered over time. And before this relative has the sort of, uh, of, of serious injury, like a fractured hip, that means that, okay, this is going to be, this now the, the countdown clock has begun uh, at best to you moving into an assisted living facility. And at worst, this is the start of a whole bunch of cascade of problems that uh, is going to uh, cut short your life. 
uh, you can actually pinpoint these things and prevent that injury from having ever happened in the first place. So there's, uh, I, I, I could go on and on and on. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is the second time I'm recording this because the first time I talked about this, uh, I clocked in at about 25 minutes, which seemed a bit of a burden. Uh, first on Russell's uh, ability, <laughs> uh, the time to uh, actually edit this into the show, and also your <laughs> need to get on with your life and not listen to me blather on for 25 minutes. Uh, so really great stuff. I'm hoping to write a column about it, actually a series of columns. I collected a lot of business cards. Uh, I got got to say hi uh, formally to uh, to uh, uh, <laughs> uh, to Dr. Kwan, uh, uh, so the CEO of Samsung. Now he knows that I'm capable of saying hello politely and that I didn't have – well, I, I did have maybe a stain on my shirt. But because I was wearing a, a blazer, I was able to button it so he couldn't see it. So that's uh, – compare and contrast with uh, the Apple events I go to where uh, if I wind up, up having, a, having a casual conversation with a cup of tea in my hand uh, with Tim Cook, somebody somewhere screwed up really badly. And there, somebody somewhere is trying to say, get – him away from Andy. He's supposed to be talking to this other person instead. Uh, so, oh, uh, also got to see the Samsung smart fridge. Okay, there you go. Uh, mostly that was in the context, though, because I knew that that's where the cold bottles of water were, and I wanted one. But I still got a demo of it, and it looks like a, having a huge uh, TV-sized Android phone on the on the front of a, of a fridge. Okay, it works. Um, and other Android stuff, though, I wanted to talk, uh, just quickly mention that uh, I do have the OnePlus 3 phone, and I've had that for the past three weeks. Uh, and uh, the first two generations of the OnePlus phones, they were good. You could see where they were trying to go. It's the third one that seems to deliver on the promise that the company was founded on, which was not to do what Asus and even Google is doing with Nexus, which is to say, I bet we can make a good phone for three or $400. So we don't have to, uh, the luxury phone shouldn't be the, the only phone that people can get. They're actually saying, no, 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 we're going to try to make a $700 iPhone 6. We're trying to make a $700 uh, Galaxy S7, but we're trying to we're going to try to sell it for $400. And I'll be darned, I can I've, uh, I haven't done this I haven't entered into the last phase of testing where I'm trying to make this device cry. But uh, before I get into that, uh, I've I can't really see anything about this device that gives it away as a $400 device, uh, even when I have this in one hand and an iPhone 6S in the other hand. The build quality is up there. The specs of the, uh, the the hardware, the amount of RAM, the CPU is way up there. has a fingerprint reader that's just as fast as any other fingerprint reader I've used. Uh, the camera is 16 megapixels and uh, optically image stabilized. Uh, it's fast, 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 fast. You get 64 gigabytes of RAM with it, and this is a $400 device. Uh, they haven't... Uh, they also haven't skinned uh, Android uh, very much at all. They've added a couple extra features, but it really does look and play out like stock Android. So I really think you've so far my I haven't finished yet, but I really think my opinion of this is that it's a real, real winner. Um, it's hard for me to make a good recommendation between uh, the OnePlus 3 and the Nexus 5X, for instance. They're both in the same ballpark in terms of price. The 5X is about $80 less expensive, uh, but you get a lot more stuff with uh, uh, with the uh, with the OnePlus. Uh, it really, I think one of the signature things is, do you want something that really looks like a nice piece of jewelry, like a super high-end phone, or do you would you rather get updates directly from Google? And both of these things have great value. But I'm sure you'll hear more about that as I finish my review and, again, <laughs> complete the, the, the torture section of the testing phase. Uh, and so... 
Back to the show. Back to you, Russell. And again, Russell, I'm sorry for having sent you the 26-minute version of it before re-recording it this way. So some other fun bit of news is that Android has now announced, or Google, sorry, Google has now announced this two-factor authentication method that is built into Android and is also available on iOS. And so um, in the past, in order for you to sign into your account, you could set up two-factor authentication on your Google account. And what you could use is Google Authenticators, or if you have another form of authentication like Authy, um, that you could you know scan the code and it would it would refresh the, the second code for the two-factor authentication. Um, they also have the ability to like send you a voice or text message um, and also backup codes. So they have different ways for you to authenticate your account when you sign in for, for the second time. But what they've now introduced is the ability for a prompt to appear on your Android phone. Um, and I actually set this up onto, I, I like set it up before we recorded, and it's actually pretty, pretty easy. Okay, so before, if I were to log in into a new account, or sorry, um, into my account from a new device, I would have to type in my password. Once I type in my password, it's going to say, hey, enter your new authorization code because I've, you know, this is a new device and it's not authorized, and I have to open my my Google, you know, authenticator, the, the app, and then type in the code that I see there. But now if I were to log into the new um, device and I enter my password, it would actually prompt me on my Android phone to say, hey, are you trying to sign in? No, deny sign in or yes, allow the sign in, which is actually pretty cool. And it's actually how Twitter has theirs um, currently built in, like they have it within the app. So if you try to sign in on your desktop and you haven't logged into that device, it'll say, it'll, it'll send you a little like notification on your on your Twitter app, and then you get to accept it or deny it. So it's very similar in that regard. Um, and also, they have added this into the Google search app for iOS. So if you're on iOS, and you're like, oh, bummer, I don't want to have an Android phone, they've actually integrated it. So I don't know exactly how it works on iOS, like if it pops up like a notification, like a Google Now card, possibly is probably what, what would happen. And then you get to accept it. Um, and I know that Apple has done this form of authentication before, like that's how they how they, uh, like when you have to do your two-factor for your accounts. Um, the only difference being that on Apple, they send you a code to like your iPad or your iPhone, and then you have to type that in, whereas this one you're just saying yes, allow, or no, deny. So, Yasmin, I absolutely love this. I, I was someone that, you know, turned on two-factor authentication pretty early for most of my accounts, and it's amazing just how different companies do it. So Google for a while has had, you know, you can go into like an authenticator app like Google Authenticator. Um, it's got codes that it's constantly generating. So when I travel overseas, it's like, hey, you look like you're on a different browser here, probably in a different country, like enter your code. So I have to open the app, find the code. And if it's right at the end, you're like, okay, got to wait for the next cycle of codes, type it in. That works. And then you have companies like uh, Twitter and Facebook that do it in-app. And those ones really, really annoy me because I go to another country, I can no longer log into the app and I can't get to the Authenticator app and their alternative is, hey, let's send you an SMS. And you're like, yeah, good good luck with that because I'm not yeah, on my that's not gonna work. Australian <laughs> SIM card. So basically, both times I've been in the US, I haven't been able to log into Facebook. I managed to generate like a backup code for Twitter and got around that that way. But this is the even better because they're actually sending a notification to your phone it runs through something called Google Play Services, which is installed on every Android phone that has access to the store. So you don't have to wait for Samsung to roll out and update. You don't have to wait for LG to blah. Once you get this new version of Google you know, Play Services from the store, you can just do it. And on 
like you said, on the Android device, it comes up as a notification. On iOS, it comes up as a notification as long as that search app that you had uh, mentioned is installed. So it comes up as a standard iOS notification that says, hey, you know, someone's trying to log in. Is this you? You tap the notification. It takes you to the search app, uh, the Google search app, and that's where you can say, you know, yeah, that's me or no, that's definitely not me. And they will allow or deny that login. And I love that this is kind of taking two-factor authentication out of the re- uh, the realm of like geeks like us, I guess. So it's perfectly fine for me to type in a six-digit code and go to an app. You know, I can figure all that out. But someone, I often tell people about two-factor and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that. I, I don't want to install another app. I don't want to set up a code. I, like that's oh, yeah. too much hassle. It's... Yeah, because if you think about like the process of the Google Authenticator, the how what you have to do is you have like a a code that you have to scan in from the app. So it's a what are, the, what are those QR codes? Yeah, QR code. And so, yeah, QR code. I was like, I can't remember what those things are called. <laughs> but the you have to scan in a QR code that pretty much the Authenticator app reads, and then it's like, okay, finally you do have access to that account. So now we've uh, identified you as that person, and now we're going to be automatically generating codes that you have to type in every. I think, like you said, it was refreshed every minute or so, um, and that's. That's really like not that helpful for someone that's not really uh, someone that's into to tech and is willing to like download an app and have all of that. Like you and I, we're, we're both people that are into tech and we understand the value of having two-factor authentication. But if it's a hassle, most people are not going to do it. That's why most people don't have really secure passwords, which is not good. Go get some secure passwords. Some, use something like LastPass or 1Password uh, to keep you safe so you're not using the same uh, puppy name in your profile and your password <laughs> yeah, we, for every account that you have on there. We know it's your pet name with like some numbers on the end. We, we can guess that pretty easily, people. It's, it's not hard to find your pet name on the internet. <laughs> and I think the other cool thing is it, it doesn't rely on things like SMS that, that don't work, you know, when you travel. I like the fact that it's all push notification based. And on both iOS and Android, like I've never not received a push notification. Like both those systems are really, really solid. As long as you have some kind of data connection, you've got you've got no issues. And I guess that's... The only potential downside that I can see people complaining about, you know, the ultra, ultra nerd might be like, I could do it before without a data connection on my phone. But it's like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> this is like a million times more more convenient. The benefit is that it gives you multiple options. So this isn't your only option. So you can have this as like your primary and if for whatever reason you don't have access to it, oh, I didn't it know you that. can uh, provide other other options. So yeah, so it has you like... Um, when you set up your two step verification settings, it has like all these different options that you can have. So, um, I, so that's actually really, really great. Um, so I, I'm excited. I'm going to go tell all of my family members, like, please, (laughs) please enable this because for some of them, I'm just like, as even as much as, as I say, please put a strong password there. They'll tell me who wants to hack my account. And I'm like, it doesn't matter who you are. People just want to hack. So that is, that is the thing. So that, that's cool. Everyone, go put two-factor verification yeah. on your Google account. Stay safe, please. If you care at all about you know what, what's in your Gmail, and it, some, I've heard some people like, oh, I don't care what's in my email, like there's nothing personal in there. I think what they forget is often email is the way to reset your password for everything. So if someone gets access to your email account, they can go to your Twitter, your Facebook, your, your banking, like whatever, and be like, oh, I forgot my password. I forgot my password. And guess what happens? An email shows up into that email account they can click and reset your password. And this is this has actually happened to me. So someone didn't compromise my Gmail, but they compromised something else. And I started to get these notifications and be like, hey, this person has forgotten their email and they've reset your password. And you're like, what? And luckily I still had control of my email account. 
and that's how I managed to, you know, get my, my very important Minecraft account. If anyone's interested, I, I got that back. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't changed the I password in five years and it was very, very insecure. So don't, don't be like Rusty, you know, pick better passwords and use two-factor. Yes, yes. You don't want people getting into your Minecraft account and like removing your blocks. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and this episode of Material is brought to you by Ministry of Supply. Look, there's no way around it. As humans, we set, we sweat. And look, I live in Arizona. It is a sweaty place. We are very, it's like over 120 degrees. Everyone's sweating. And, you know, no one wants to really sweat because it's really not convenient. Uh, gym clothes, you know, they can handle it. They're made for it. But the clothes that you need to wear to work all day, every day, do nothing to help. They're also stiff and restricting, and it just makes everything worse. But this is where Ministry of Supply comes in. They combine performance technology with tailored design to make men's workwear that's actually comfortable and capable. The result in dress shirts and slacks that wick, sweat, breathe, and stretch as you move. So this is actually really, really great because... You know, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have to do this because uh, I'm a woman, so I usually don't have to wear a business suit. But if you are a man in the, that has to dress up and, and wear the, the business attire and it's sweaty, you know, you want something to keep you cool. And I know that Russell, that you actually have one of their sweaters, and I, and I've seen pictures of it, and oh, it, yes, looks, it looks fantastic. I, I have to tell you, I, I took this over to San Francisco with me twice, and I don't know what space age technology is in there, but it works, you know, because in San Francisco it's like hot, and oh, I'm cold, oh now it's freezing, now it's hot. It's the, the jumper, the jumper. I keep calling it a jumper. That's what we call them in Australia. I'm sorry, but the sweat sweater, <laughs> the sweater worked amazingly sweater. well. So I, I'd highly recommend it, and I, if that particular thing is like exactly what they say it is. I assume the, the rest of their clothes are the same, you know, good stuff. Yeah. The best thing about it, it's machine washable so that if you uh, do sweat in it, you can actually wash it. Um, so you no longer have to spend all this time at the dry cleaners. So they look great and they're going to keep you cool and sweat free. To find out more, visit ministrysupply.com forward slash material and you'll get 50% off your first order of ministry supply purchase by using the code material. Or you can even visit one of their stores in Boston, San Francisco, and coming soon, Washington, D.C., and just mention this show to get 15% off in-store. So thank you so much, Ministry of Supply, for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Let them know that material podcast sent you. <laughs> so one thing that I have seen um, a lot of our listeners getting excited about, Yasmin, is Android apps on Chrome OS. And don't worry, listeners, we are definitely going to talk about that, but we're going to hold it off till next week because I don't know about you Yasmin but I got so excited that I've actually ordered like a Chromebook Pixel and it arrives I think tomorrow or the next day. Have, have you got anything you can run Ooh. Ooh, Android apps on your Chrome OS with? No, no, no. But this has actually been very tempting to actually buy a Chromebook. Um, before, I never really saw the value of the I mean, I saw the value of the Chromebook, but I knew that the Chromebook necessarily wasn't going to be something that my family would greatly benefit from. Um, I definitely see the value in education and all these things. But now that Android apps are coming to the Chromebook, that just opens it up to so many apps. Um, so I... I'm like super, super tempted to buy a Chromebook because they're they're fairly inexpensive. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking we're just going to have to say it's uh, for the family. It's for our family. Our family needs a personal computer and this is, this is what it's going to be. Uh, but I, I have been thinking a whole lot about it. If I've talked, I even there's a, I talked to uh, people over at Greenbot and kind of shared 
from a UX perspective or from you know design perspective, what does that mean? Um, so it's been it's actually been a topic that I've been thinking a whole lot about. Um, so I I'm excited for for next week when we kind of talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, and for those people that are, just can't wait till next week, like I'm so excited. The the first Chromebook to get support was the Asus Chromebook Flip, and shortly the Asus Chromebook R11 and the Google Chromebook Pixel will be the next ones re- receiving support, and then later. Uh, this year and on to 2017, there's a huge list of, of Chromebooks after that. So chances are if you've got some kind of recent Chromebook, you know, you're going to be getting this soon. And if you're excited to find out what this means, then you should definitely tune into the show next week. Yeah. So, Russell, I'm feeling yucky. Not lucky? <laughs> yucky. Not lucky. Oh. I'm feeling yucky. <laughs> that is the worst. Uh, i got to say that is the worst Daft Punk song I've ever heard. Yes, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're staying all night to get yucky. <laughs> oh. oh so, I'm assuming this is a reference to a story because so if not, I don't, yeah. It's, yes, yes. <laughs> this is, a, this is a, it actually has, there, it has some meaning. We're not just saying that we're feeling yucky. Uh, that now you, when you search Google symptoms, no, not Google symptoms, when you search symptoms on Google, maybe you're having Google symptoms, but, um, you know, if you're saying, you're asking Google about symptoms like you have a headache on one side and, you know, you, you're writing all this uh, different things, that it's actually going to be giving you an overview description of all the, in, all the information about your symptoms and self-treatment options that might warrant a doctor's visit. By doing this, our goal is to help you navigate and explore health conditions related to your symptoms and quickly get to the point where you can do more in-depth research on the web or talk to a health professional. So I think that's actually really, really cool. I mean, I know that the first instance, like when my daughter was younger, even now, it's like when she had, um, you know, some some rash or like her teeth was hurting. I was like, is this normal? I don't know if this is normal. So I started Googling all these symptoms and, you know, have to uh, look through the web to, to find out if this was normal, if I should really contact a, a doctor about it. But the fact that it's providing all this information, like within the Google search, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And they come out in these really beautiful cards and they actually did a really good job because the color that they use for the cards is actually like, um, what do you, what color would you call that? Like a, not a teal, but like a blue, like a very calming blue. Yeah. It's like a darker sort of teal. I'm out of my depth here. I'm not a designer. (laughs) I don't know. It probably has a really fancy name. It's like, uh, Sunday (laughs) at the beach at 5 PM on a really hot day blue. (laughs) But the, but it really is like in terms of color, if you're Googling symptoms, you're probably not in the best uh, state of mind because you're not feeling so great because you're feeling yucky. Not only feeling blue. The joke and was right there, Yasmin. Oh. oh. I, I got to say, I do. But this, see, but this blue isn't like a sad blue. It's like a happy blue. I know. I, I do like the, the way it's laid out. So, you know, there, there is the, the common joke, you know, that goes around the world that people use Dr. Google. You know, I have a pain in my thing. It's like, you're going to die in three hours. And you're like, oh, well, that's, that's sad. But I think it's, it's cool that Google's addressing that. So you can search for, you know, headache on one side or skin rash. And then you get these cards appear on the top. And you've still got all your normal kind of search underneath that. But I do like that it's a bit more curated. So hopefully, you know, not as many people will freak out when they type their symptoms into Google. As I can see, yeah, you know, Yasmin is, is doing right now live. I don't know if this is rolled out yet to everyone. Yasmin will be able to tell us in a moment. But I, I do think it's cool if they can get this right that potentially, you know, it's less worry for people. You know, you're not going to type in, you know, I have a pain in my, I don't know, knee or something. And it's like, it's lupus. It's never lupus, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not seeing it. Let's see. I'm I'm looking at it my phone right now. Um, and the 
I do have something that did come up, and I don't know if it's the exact same thing as Google's, um, but it looks slightly different from the pictures that they have on there. So I don't know if like the updated one is the the symptom. So let, let me let me see, because actually I didn't Google a symptom. I did already Google uh, an illness. So uh, maybe. Okay, so try try. They've got one here. Headache on one side. Oh, there it is. Okay, totally. So I Googled headache on one side, and it tells me health conditions related to this search. Headache? Huh. Who would have thought? <laughs> but which side? <laughs> then, left or right? It's you very can, important. Which side? Which side? Uh, so, okay. So it tells you like headache, headaches can cause, have causes that are due to underlying disease. Oh my gosh, I have disease. No. And they give you some examples <laughs> and then you can, you can swipe through all the different ones. So they have like migraine, a headache of varying intensity, often accompanied by nausea and sensitivity to light and sound. No, that is not the same as what you feel like the next morning after you've been out at Google IO or WWC all night. Okay. That's, that's the <laughs> different thing. Um, and if you swipe some more, you get like tension headache and mild to moderate pain, often described as feeling like a tight band around the head, uh, risk factors, female and stress. So that's actually really, really cool. So yeah, so if you do, you can type in some symptoms and it's going to actually give you some of the, the common um, the conditions that you could be having. And then it's going to give you more information on like, okay, this, this is what it is. Okay, so now the, the cool part is after you've typed in your symptom, if you actually click one of those different options that it gives you, like I clicked on migraine, and so it tells you uh, about what a migraine is, and then it also tells you like it's very common and then more than 3 million U.S. cases per year. And the cool thing is it tells you if it's treatable and if it's self-diagnosable or like do you really need to go to a doctor, any lab tests that you need, you may or may not take. And then it even gives you more information like ages affected and the, the symptoms and the treatments. So um, I think that's, that's really good because Google, for so many people like search, you, that is really the first place you go when you're, even if you know someone that's like a friend that's a doctor, like I, like I said before, when my, my daughter's sick or she has something, I always search Google and then my, my best friend's a physician assistant and yes, I should just message her because, you know, she's actually a professional, but I'm like, oh, do I really need to message my friend or like can Google help me out here? So um, I think that's uh, yeah. pretty awesome. I, I think overall it'll be a net good. I'm sure some people will use it. Um, you know, who potentially have things like hypochondria or just general like anxiety and they'll probably still come up with things that, that freak them out. That That's probably unavoidable. Like I think if if they can help more people than they did before, then, you know, I think this is awesome. I will say again though, disappointing Google, it says over the next few days it's going to be rolling out. Awesome. In English, I, I guess that's okay to start in English, in the US to start off with. So for any of our international uh... listeners like me, you know, from the far off countries of... Canada, Australia, you know, England, those kind of places, Europe. Oh, you won't you won't be getting this just yet. So you, you you're still gonna get the traditional, you know, Google search that I get now. You know the irony is, or maybe not the irony, but the unfortunate part is that um, probably in other countries, I mean US doesn't have the best health coach system. I know in Australia you can walk up to any any doctor and, and get help, Russell. Any koala like, for free. Other places, they will treat you. Any koala for free. <laughs> Uh, but in other places where medical assistance is is actually not that easy to, to come across in some countries, this would have been really, really helpful. <laughs> so come on, Google. Uh, so, hey, anyways, yeah, thank you for helping us in the U.S., but um, hopefully it opens up to other countries because I could see how helpful that could be. Um, it's uh, 
just when you start thinking, I know I'm like, going to go on this uh, kind of tangent now, but when you start thinking about like technology and how it helps a lot of different countries, and I know that Bill Gates is all over this, but he really likes to use um, technology to help countries that maybe don't have the, the best um, you know, health system, and they can use technology to find out, like, for instance, a lot of people die in child labor. Like That is, a, that is something that actually does happen in, in countries where there is not a lot of medical help. And so they've used like smartphones or even like um, not even like the most high tech phones to just get that information. So people are know like what to what to think about or what what things need to be addressed by a doctor or things that they can handle themselves. So like it's really helpful just for information wise. So if they can get this um, to some of those countries, I think that would be pretty, pretty awesome because it will be right built in from the search app. So they don't have to download a, a separate app. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing is for those of you that don't have any condition, health conditions and just like to, to drink, there is the, the keyword here, knowledge graph. So Google said, you know, we've collected information. <laughs> I don't see any mention of machine learning, but I do see knowledge graph. So if you're, if you're waiting for that point to, to take a drink, you, you may now drink. So we want to thank everyone for listening. We want to thank Andy for sending in his on-the-field reporting. Um, and thanks, everyone, for being staying to the end. I don't know. Should we thank him for staying till the end, Russell? Hey, you and I stayed till the end. <laughs> you, so maybe we're thanking ourselves. I, well, Yasmin, I've stayed till the end of every episode, unlike, unlike some of us here. I do remember there was one that you just walked hey, out of us. You're like, oh, hey, I've had enough. Hey, yeah, that will never happen again because <laughs> as you can tell within like just 10 minutes left of the episode, less than 10 minutes, uh, it's, it's just an explosion of, it's, it's a, turned into like a car crash. Oh, I man. think there literally was a car crash story probably in there. If, so, if you uh, had heard some of the things I cut out at the end of that show, I think, I think you'd be in oh shock. Oh my God. <laughs> you'd probably have kicked both Andy and I off the show and you'd just be running this yourself this week. You'd be like, welcome to Material, a show all about Yasmin's view of Google and Android. <laughs> no one will die in any analogies today, I promise. <laughs> I promise. Um, we do want to let everyone know that we are going to be having a listener question episode, so we're pretty excited about that. So please send us your questions before next week so that we can get them on the show and recorded. Um, we already have asked on Twitter, and we've gotten some great questions. So if you have any other ones that you've been dying to know about Google, Android, or even material, maybe it's like some specific material question, go ahead and send that over to us, and we'll try to get it answered and Russell, where can people find you and uh, when you actually leave VR? I don't know. Is there a Twitter client on, in the HTC Vive now? Well, I guess because you've got that desktop thing, that there probably is. I, I mean, I don't know how you go about typing on a keyboard, but I don't care. Like, I, I have to tell you one last thing about VR. I literally I left a VR experience yesterday and I felt like the real world was actually less real, Yasmin. So if you want to find out more about these kind oh. of experiences, Rusty Shelf on Twitter is the place to go. <laughs> And I'm at Yasmin Evian on Twitter, and you can find Andy at, at Inaco. And we'll put the show in the show links because, uh, you know, he, he usually is here to spell it for us. And you can find us on the web at relay.fm forward slash material. You can find us on Twitter at, at material podcast. Please send in your questions with hashtag ask material. And you can also send them directly to us via email at materialpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay in material. And we'll put the show in the show links because, uh, you know, and we'll put the show in the show links because, uh, you know, boom, 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 boom.